When you're looking for a clean break from your polar routine, you don't want to be sucked in by imitations. You want the only non-cola that picks up where colas leave off. You want the un-cola, 7-Up. When you want the taste of un, there's only one. How many of you remember that commercial? All right. I like it when we can... I can talk to at least a few of you who know what I'm talking about. Now, if you remember in the, uh, the whole un-cola thing... They were the complete opposite of cola. That was the, the whole advertising campaign is they wanted you to buy something because it was the opposite of, of what cola was. Now today I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the unchurch and the unprincipled. Because what happens in any church, if you're not careful, you move away from loving lost people to only caring about yourself and only caring about uh, mature people when, when really... If you're, if you're going to follow Christ and do what Christ said, you've got to be reaching out to lost folks. You can't have a church that's a normal functioning church, a biblically functioning community that doesn't love lost people. So you've got to constantly be feeding on the bread of life, feeding on the word of God, and you've constantly got to be pushing back from the table and serving others. We have teenagers in this church that serve better than some adults in this church. Now, I'm not trying to guilt anyone because God doesn't use guilt. If God convicts you, the Holy Spirit convicts you, that's something different. Guilt is, is something that comes from Satan. So if you feel guilty, you have permission just to sit back and not listen to a word I say. But if God comes in and convicts you in your heart, maybe you should do something about that and get off your rear and serve. I'll get off my high horse. Now, um, the Uncola, this is from the 70s, and, and they wanted people to say, oh, this is refreshing. We're totally different. We are uh, light. We're different. We're Uncola. Well, Christianity is really supposed to be an un-religion, and new life is supposed to be an un-church. If you're a Christian, the church is not for you. If you're a Christian, the church is not for you. The church is you. The church is called the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. So if you're a Christian, the church is you. The church exists for those who aren't even here yet. For those who've not even understood that there is a Christ, that there is an afterlife, and you are bound for hell if you don't know Jesus Christ. There's not many ways to get to God. There is one. And so if you're, if you're a Christian and, and you think the church is all about you and the church is for you, you got it dead wrong. And, and you need to listen up. Now, I double-dog dare you to find in God's Word where it says that the church exists for Christians. You find it. Because if you don't, then I'm not going to listen to your argument. See, because I really don't care about your opinion. And honestly, you shouldn't care about my opinion. The only opinion that matters when it comes to the bride of Christ is the bridegroom, is Jesus Christ. And let's see what Jesus had to say. I referenced this verse just a second ago. Luke 19.10, the founder of the church said, the son of man, that's, that's Jesus' favorite term for himself. He identified with human beings. He was the son of God, but when he called himself the son of man, he was identifying with humans and saying, I am fully human. The son of man, Jesus talking about himself, did not come, uh, came to look for and to save people who are lost. He said this right after he was talking uh, uh, about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a lost guy. He said, I came for people just like him. And that's what the church is supposed to do. Look at Matthew 20, 27, and 28. Whoever wants to become first among you must serve the rest of you like a slave. And we don't like that. And quite honestly, that's why we stay in chair number two all of the time. 
We don't like serving because it's not about me. In the same way the Son of Man did not come to be served, He came to serve others and to give His life as a ransom for many. So if you want to grow as a Christian, you can't be all about yourself. Yes, you feed from the Word of God, but if you never do anything, you will stagnate and you'll actually be a really poor example of a Christ. Because when you're called a Christian, that was supposed to be a derogatory term back in the day. They couldn't think of anything else to say about the followers of Christ's. Of Christ, and they hated Christ, so they would say, you, you, you little Christs. I mean, that's where the term Christian came from. I pray to God that we would start living up to that name and be like a little Christ. Now, in order to become a Christ follower, you have to exchange your life for his, and that means he becomes your owner. That means he gets to tell you what to do, and you're supposed to obey and follow. And when you... Obey God. You will experience the unlife. In God's economy, it is unusual. It's uncanny. It's unbelievable. It's what I call the unprincipled. And we're going to look at some unprincipled today. Number, number one, the first unprincipled on your listening guide is we need to pray and ask God to unlock our understanding of His economy. In other words, we need God's perspective on life and stuff. When we unlock our grip on what we think is ours and we begin to bless someone else, there's someone else who blesses us. You know who that is? The God of the universe. So while I'm blessing, God is blessing. While I'm unlocking, God is unlocking my understanding. 1 Corinthians 10, 11, uh, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he says, These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. What it's saying, what Paul is talking about here, he says, The words of this Bible were written down to show us that, that everything that happened to God's people from the beginning of time until now, that was written down, the Bible was finished in, in the, the first century, everything that was written down was written down to show us that their lives and the things that they go through, the problems that they have, correspond to our lives. There's no other book like this. It's the best-selling book of all times. The reason is that you can read stuff that happened 6,000 years ago, and if you ask God to unlock your understanding, you can see how, man, I'm going through that today. Human beings are stupid. We keep doing the same thing over and over. It's all in here. Read it. And it was written to warn you and I in 2009 and to warn the next generation, which we'll talk about in just a minute. God, unlock my understanding of your word. Because we said last week, the Bible is not unimportant. God said to his people, these words are your life. Feed on the bread of life. If your life's not working what you've been doing, and I know some of you. Actually, I know a lot of you. Anytime you get off and your life starts to go the wrong way, I can probably just predict that you've turned your back on God. Because what happens is we start to think we can handle this life that God has given us. And, and anytime, you know, I had a guy one time say he was never coming back to my church. And I said, well, have you prayed this? This was years ago when, when I was a youth minister. I said, have you prayed and asked God about this? Well, no. I said, so you're turning your back on God. No, I'm turning my back on your church. And, and so I said, well, you hadn't prayed. Have you read the Bible? No. I said, have you talked to Christians who are more mature than you are about this decision you're making? No. I said, then you're turning your back on God. And, and it's going to come back to haunt you. And that's what we do. We walk away from God. These, are, these words are life, and I can't stress that enough. Now, look at Psalm 78. And we're going to spend a lot of time in Psalm 78 today. Verses 1 through 4. My friends, I beg you to listen as I teach. And what he's teaching, he's breaking the bread of life. That's what we try to do every week. 
I will give instruction and explain the mystery of what happened long ago. These are things we learned from our ancestors, and we will tell them to the next generation. We won't keep secret the glorious deeds and the mighty miracles of God. You see right there in bold, it's all about the next generation. You find a church that falls in love with themselves, they won't care about the next generation, and eventually they will die and the church will die with them because they're not passing it on to the next generation. The psalmist is talking about God's people and he's talking about from their incarceration in Egypt when they were slaves all the way up to the reign of King David. And within this psalm, the writer really unpacks a lot of stuff about what it means to really follow God and experience the unlife. Excuse me. Good thing y'all aren't a little closer. I would have just spit all over you. So the writer says what we have uh, heard and what we listen to. And, and by the way, there's a difference between hearing and listening, right? Ladies... Your husbands or, yeah, you know, the difference between hearing and listening. When, when I say hearing, I'm saying to God, unlock my understanding of your economy. And guess what happens? When I pray that prayer to God and you pray that prayer to God, the geological plates in our life begin to move and stuff begins to happen. And by the way, I just thought of something that, that I meant to mention earlier. Um, every year for Christmas, we started this last year, we uh, support World Vision. And we buy uh, donkeys and cows and, and fishing ponds and fishing equipment, stuff like that. And we send it uh, through World Vision to places in Africa. Well, I got an email this week from World Vision, and they are desperate for donations to help out the folks in uh, American Samoa. The tsunami hit and uh, wiped out a lot of stuff. And, and on Wednesday, I believe it was, I got this email, and they are uh, they're already dropping air uh, helicopter folks they're dropping stuff that that people need there and they're asking for donations and and i felt like god was was saying to me that our church needs to raise a thousand dollars to send to them so uh i didn't uh, totally didn't prepare for this um jeff would you go back in my office and get the white buckets at the end we're going to pass the buckets you know we never pass the buckets unless we're taking money for somebody else we have the joy basket at the back yeah, I said it at the wrong time. See if you're listening. We'll talk about that in a minute. That's for regular attenders and, and church members. Anytime we pass the bucket, that money doesn't stay here. And I just felt like God telling me we need to raise $1,000 from new life, uh, especially when I'm preaching a message like this. So anyway, we'll do that at the end of the service. Um, so the writer says what we've heard and what we've listened to. So because in this natural life, I think that my life is my life and my stuff is my stuff. I have this greed thing going on, and, and don't pretend that you don't. Everybody that's hearing my voice, you, you know what the greed thing is. There are greeds and there are needs, and there are needs and there are greeds. And, and uh, we think, I want what I want, it's mine. But, but when we unlock our understanding of God's economy, stuff happens. I discover I'm not an owner. I'm just a steward. I'm a manager. We said this last week. If you think you own your house, quit paying taxes, and we'll see who owns your house. It won't be long. You don't own anything when you're a Christian. So when God unlocks my understanding, I realize what I'm doing is I'm planting seed. I'm a farmer. I am sowing seed. You're a farmer as well. We're sowing seed with the words that come out of our mouths. We sow seed in relationships. We sow seeds in our marriage, in dating relationships. We sow seeds with our kids. You sow seeds in your careers. We sow seeds even when we're playing sports. We're always sowing seeds. And Jesus talked about in Matthew 13, he said, if you're a farmer and you are, you might as well plant in the best soil that's out there. And, and so God wants to under, uh, unlock our understanding about where that soil is. And I, I've been reading a book called It, about do churches have it, and how do you get it, and how do you lose it. And, and in there, there was a quote, and, and this hit me as I was reading this week, that Jesus understood this quote I'm about to show you hundreds of years before this guy ever lived. Look at this quote. 
What we do for ourselves dies with us. What we do for others and the world remains, uh, and the world remains and is immortal. If you want to guarantee a life of insignificance, then do everything for yourself. Spend all your money on yourself. Do only things that please you. Focus entirely on pleasing yourself. And your life of insignificance will follow your body to the grave. And everyone will forget about you rather quickly. But, that's kind of depressing. Wow, I can't believe he said that. But, if you want to live a life of significance, if you want to matter, then give away your life for the sake of others. It's that simple. So this process is God begins to unlock my understanding of his economy, that this life isn't my own. The air I breathe is not my own. And as I understand that and I begin to obey it, God does some incredible things, some amazing things. And then he does, as I obey, he does number two, because you never get number two without obeying. Number two is another unthing. God begins to unload blessings. I'm amazed so often at how many people think you can disobey God and then pray and receive the blessings of God. In God's economy, blessing always follows obedience. So often people worship money, and that's why God talked about it. And he said to keep a loose grip on things uh, of the world because when you talk about generosity, when you, when you drill down into the root word of generosity, you can talk about giving of my time and my talents. Woohoo! Yes, that's right. But the root word, when we're talking about generosity, is all about money. So we've got to put our cards on the table. We've got to say, you know, if I'm going to be generous, then I've got to move money. And when I do that, God begins to moving in my life. Now, I'm not saying that you become rich. I do not believe in, in the name it and claim it, the prosperity gospel. I don't believe it. I believe that's heresy. And again, I, I double-dog dare you to find in the Bible where it says that. Now, when you give money, God does bless you, and blessing sometimes involves finances, but many times the blessing of God involves things that money can't even touch. Money's so powerful, it transcends everything. And so everything we said, every financial decision is a spiritual decision. So God wants to unlock my understanding, He wants me to obey, and He wants to unload blessings. Psalm 78, 4, we will tell them to the next generation. We won't keep secret the glorious deeds and the mighty miracles of the Lord. What are we going to tell the next generation? All the incredible stuff that God did in our lives when we began to obey Him. We're going to tell the next generation. Because remember, last week we looked at Joshua, and the, and the Bible says in Judges chapter 2 that Joshua died, and then everybody that followed Joshua, all the leaders of Joshua's time died. And then what happens? The next generation did not know the Lord or anything about Him. Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. So we have to tell the next generation. And we're going to tell them about the blessings of God. And, and I don't know about you, but I've never met a blessing I didn't like. Anybody? You meet blessings that, that you don't like? And let me give you just a real quick uh, definition of blessing. A blessing is to be on the receiving end of the tangible and intangible favor of God. Tangible, stuff you can see taste, touch, feel, all of that. Intangible is stuff you can't. What if God wants to bless your family, but because you've not been obedient to God, He has pulled His hands back and you have to, you have to suffer the consequences of choices that you've made. You obey God and God may supernaturally bless your family with things that money could never buy. So God will unlock His blessings. He'll unload blessings on your life and mine when we move. And this especially takes place Financially. So, okay, Doug, are you saying it's all about the money? It's all about the money. Well, no, I'm not saying that. You know who is saying it? Jesus. Matthew 6, 21. I'm just repeating his words. So if you get mad, get mad at Jesus. 
Go pray and tell Jesus that he's, he, you can't believe how he is just, he wants money, he wants stuff. You tell Jesus that. Don't blame me. Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. The Bible is very clear that your feelings follow your money. So if you spend all of your money on stuff that benefits you, who are you most in love with? You. All your affection flows to you and all your efforts in life will die with you. But watch this. When God unlocks your understanding of money and you obey him, he then begins to unload all kinds of blessings in your life. And I'm not making this stuff up. If it's my opinion, blow me off. But if it comes out of the Bible and I'm not misrepresenting it, then maybe you better pay attention. Here's Malachi 3, 8 through 10. You people are robbing me, your God. That's, that's put in this translation so you understand. This is God talking to his followers. You people are robbing me, your God. And here you're asking, well, how are we robbing you, God? God says, you're robbing me of offerings and the 10% that belong to me. Now, what we teach here is that 10% of what you make, what you bring in, needs to be given to God. That's why we have the offering every week. Offerings are actually something different. Tithes are 10% of your income. And people all the time are arguing with me about, well, should that be net or gross? Whatever you bring into your house, what Janie and I do, the check that we receive every two weeks, immediately 10% of that. Janie writes a check the next Sunday, puts it back there in the basket, and and that's our 10%. We, we just take, and if you don't know how to do that, I can show you on a calculator how to do that. We do that. I'm not saying it's easy. That's, that's not an easy thing all of the time, but that's what we do. Offerings are anything over and above that. So the, the buckets that we pass today, that's an offering. That's over and above your 10% that's going to people who desperately need what we have to offer. If we rob God and keep the tithe and spend it on ourselves, the Bible says we are under a curse. The Bible says right here in, in Malachi chapter 3 that we're supposed to bring the tithe, the 10%, into the storehouse. Now, in the Old Testament, that was the temple. In the New Testament, that's the church. So when we bring our tithe, we're supposed to bring that into God's house and put it here. And so the Bible says if you're going to keep that 10%, spend it on yourself, you're, you're cursed. So we have the opportunity. Can we be blessed by God, tangible and intangible favor of God, or cursed by God? I don't know about you, but I'm going to choose the blessings. I want the blessings. Even if that's not financial, I want blessings on my family, on my children, on my future in-laws, because I've got to spend time with them every holiday. I want good, God-fearing, blessed in-laws. A lot of us rip this section out of our Bible. We just, we just rip out Malachi and just throw it on the ground. I don't like it, and we pout, because God, how dare you ask me about money? What's that from? Yeah. God, how dare you to ask me something so personal? How dare you ask me to put my money where my mouth is? Come on. I believe the Bible. I mean, I believe the Bible about my forgiveness. Oh, I love forgiveness, God. I love the fact that I'm a sinner and I can come into your heaven. I, I believe about my, my future in heaven. I believe about my purpose. But don't you talk about my money. If you talk about my money, I'll leave. Um, I've been in churches where one time, uh, one of the best pastors I've ever served under, he preached for four weeks on money, and it wasn't all about, you know, just give money. People left, and we got these notes saying, if you continue to preach about money, I'll never come back. And uh, I'm the type that I do research, and so somebody, you know, sends me a threatening note. I'm, I'm like, how much did they give? And I went, and I didn't ask, you know, 
I, I, what I said was to the financial secretary, do they give? She goes, not a dime. And usually the people that get most upset about when you talk about money are the people that aren't giving. And so I, I just gotta, I got I to gotta be real clear about this. If you're upset with me and you want to leave, please do. We'll pause the service. If you don't want to walk out this exit because it's up front, I'll have everybody bow their heads. You just give me the signal. We'll pause the service because the door's back there. Because you will never grow to be the mature Christian that God wants you to be while you're hanging on to money because money is a test. It's all about your heart. And if your heart is hardened with greed, you are not going to grow. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Look it up and, and correct me if I'm wrong because I'll be, I'll be open to that. Money transcends everything we do. It's a treasure test. And I've told you before, Janie and I have written that check back when we started the church. The church couldn't pay us. We've written the check not knowing whether the check was going to bounce or not. So I know, I understand. But it's a test. There's one more unprincipled I want to talk to you about. If I can't be trusted with money, God will never trust me with bigger blessings. So the last unprincipled, number three, is God wants me to unleash blessings in my life to other people. The only reason God gives you blessings is so that you can bless other people. And, and do you know where the best soil out there is? Now, some of you, your background, you're going to argue with me over this. But the best soil out there is the local church. It's what Jesus Christ gave his life for. And there's nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. And unfortunately, a lot of us have been through churches that weren't working right. But we're talking about the unchurch here. God wants to unleash the blessings He's given you to help others. And He's going to do it through the church. And, and see, here we are. It's this whole principle of sowing and reaping. Whatever seeds I plant, that's what I'm going to get back. Because, you know, if I plant corn, I'm not going to get papayas. Right? I hear this all the time. Man, I want to have an off-the-chain marriage. I want my marriage to be good. And I say, yeah. Every single person here, if you're married, I don't care how good your marriage is, you want to have a great marriage, right? Your marriage could always be better and nobody's going to turn that down. Well, if you sow seeds of negativity, if you sow seeds of strife and boredom, if you sow seeds of predictability, guess what kind of marriage you're going to have? It's not going to be great. People say, I want to have well-adjusted kids. I hear people say, I want my kids to follow Christ wholeheartedly. And, and the way I say that is, I want my kids to reflect the nature of God. What are you planning in their lives? I have children. I want my kids not only to follow Christ with all their hearts, I want them to marry people that follow Christ with all their hearts. But if you're sowing in the church in, in, in fertile soil in attendance, in serving and giving, then God says, I'm going to bless you, tangible and intangible, blessings of God. And if you have them up here for age-appropriate teaching, which starts with bed babies, all the way up through fifth grade back there during this hour, and then we have stuff for junior high and high schoolers, and if you go all the way through, through small groups, then, then you're going to be planting in them, you're going to be sowing seeds that God is going to bless. You're going to get a harvest. But parents, especially, you can't sow seeds of uh, inconsistency. You can't say, okay, I'm going to make sure that you're at ballet lessons and and all of the sports lessons, and I'm going to make sure you do all of this stuff, and and whatever's left over in my life, maybe we'll make it to church. Maybe we'll plant some seeds there. 
You can't expect a great harvest if you do that because you reap what you sow. If you sow into the church, you're going to reap a a phenomenal harvest. And we have the opportunity to reach generation after generation after generation. And that's part of what keeps me going. Is I desperately want to reach my children's generation. I'm going to die someday. And I want what I've done in life to live on after me. It's not enough just to make money. It's not enough. The church is the place where stuff will be unleashed. And that's why it says in Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. Now let's go back and let's talk about this next generation because an unchurched reaches the next generation. And I want you to look at the continuation of Psalm 78 where it says the next generation and what we're going to do. Here's verses 6 and 7 from Psalm 78. Then their children, whose children? The next generation's children, would know them, even their children not yet born. And they would tell their children so they would all trust God and would not forget what He had done but would obey His commands. This is all about letting go of this life that God is giving you and sowing it. That involves money. God, unlock my understanding, unload your blessings and help me to unleash them so the next generation will not forget what you have done and they will obey you. In Acts, there's there's a short verse that talks about David. And this was on our uh, discussion guide last week in small groups. And it says, David served God in his generation, then he died. That's what I would like to have on my tombstone. Because all I can do is I can put everything I have into this life serving God and telling others and feeding people the bread of life and desperately trying to get people to move from one chair to another and serve other people because we will not. I'm telling you, as long as I have breath, we will not turn our backs on lost people. And if I have to choose between a Christian and a lost person, I'll say, Christian, see you in heaven. Because I will not stand before God and say, I wasted what you gave me. I wasted this opportunity to reach lost people because I wanted to please some eye chair people. We will love eye chair people, but you cannot run our church. Whiners do not get to run the church. Come to me with answers. I'll listen. You come to me whining, and especially if you're not doing anything, I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for that. I don't have time for that. Not trying to be arrogant. I'm just telling you, when God shows you what you're supposed to do and you become focused on what you're supposed to do, He will bless that exponentially. And you're going to go to heaven. If you get serious about this, someday you're going to be in heaven and someone's going to walk up and say, thank you. And you're going to say, what's that for? You gave to World Vision. They came to my little village in Africa. And as they taught me how to fish... They told me about Jesus. And I'm here today because you gave. You gave when that tsunami hit American Samoa. And and while I was getting blankets and clothes and shoes and food, somebody told me about the love of Jesus. And I'm here today because a little church named New Life took God seriously. And they gave. 